Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us today. Today in the show, we're going to talk a little about Bermuda grass. I know it's a topic we don't cover often here, but we're going to get into that today. So if you've got anything on Bermuda grass, you can certainly give us a call, 844-44-AG-PHD. Or you can send us an email, radio at agphd.com. Before we get to Bermuda grass, and actually we're going to get to the Ag PhD mailbag as well here in the first segment, but uh, I, I just wanted to mention to you next week, we have a great opportunity. Neil Kinsey is going to be here Tuesday through Thursday. Yes, I know it's a three-day seminar, but if you want to learn more about soils and fertility, Neil is probably the most influential person for Darren and me where we learned the most about soil fertility from him and from the basically the lessons that he's gotten over the years as well so it all kind of falls into that same boat and I I would just say when you stop and think about it for a second how much money are you investing in fertilizer on your farm and how important is that soil I mean the soil really in our opinion I mean, not, I wouldn't say everything, but it takes you a long ways toward maximizing yield and profitability in your farm. And you think about it, if you can do even just a little bit better in your fertility program, you fine tune that thing just a little bit, especially with the yields we're getting today, it's it's not unlikely that you would have an extra 50 or $100 an acre profit each year. It's been amazing what we've been able to do on our farm and transforming some of the things and a lot of it comes back to fertility so i'd really encourage you check that out if you've never heard neil kinsey before even if you have um i i i would invite you to attend i'd encourage you to attend not only is it going to be neil speaking darren and i'll be talking just a little bit some of the consultants that have been working under Neil for years are going to be there. Uh, we're going to have Tim Reinbot as well. The, the big thing that I would say, like with Neil, and Darren and I have talked about this the last few years, um, he's, uh, he's not young anymore. Let's put it that way. And who knows how many more years he's going to be traveling the country and willing to come to our region of the country to talk. So I, I know for both Darren and me, we're looking forward to that. And again, if you want more information, just go to agphd.com. All right, let's dive into the Ag PhD mailbag. It's the mailbag! All right, got this one from Elizabeth down in southeast Louisiana. Uh, Elizabeth says, we're trying to spray a pasture for weeds this spring. And you mentioned that there may be cheaper options than just using 2,4-D. Uh, we're going to use this pasture for grazing and for hay over the next few months. Just curious, what other products do you think in, in terms of pasture products could you use? And hey, Elizabeth, this is a great question. One of the things that we've been talking about with 24D here the last few years is how much it's gone up in price. Now, I know it's ridiculous. <laughs> there have been some items that have gone up a little bit, but this one has gone up a lot. And all of a sudden, and oh, I should mention this too. You know what? A quart of old four pound two four D just isn't doing it anymore. And many okay. of the guys in our area are going to a quart and a half or more likely two. Well, if you get this dramatic well, price increase and an increase in rate, uh, it gets expensive per acre. Yeah. So just as an example here, for our 
Ag PhD winter workshops. We'd put a sheet together on pastures, and we didn't spend a lot of time on it because we were mainly focused on wheat or corn or soybeans, the major crops out there. But with pastures, we had six examples of herbicide programs you could run. LV6 ranked third out of six in expense. And it's like, what? LV6 is the cheapest. Nope. It's the third most expensive. Now, granted, I'm figuring a quart and a third of LV6. So you might say, well, I don't need to use that much. I only use a quart of LV6. Okay, you can try that. A quart of LV6 in our geography, it's okay. It's certainly not great. Anyway, here are some of the products that are cheaper. Distinct at six ounces. And by the way, six ounces of Distinct is equivalent to seven and a half ounces of status. Uh, that's going to kill every broadleaf weed there is pretty much in the world. Then you got Duracor. That's even cheaper. So, I mean, Duracor is roughly $5 an acre cheaper than a quart and a third of LV6. Duracor is a combination of a 2,4-D replacement product and Milestone. Now, if you want straight Milestone, yeah, that's more a little bit more expensive, but not much. It's only about a dollar more for the full rate of Milestone, and you'll kill your thistles potentially for years to come with, with Milestone. There's also Tordon out there that's about $3 an acre more expensive than, uh, than a quart and a third of LV6. And then uh, the other product that's cheaper, so I mentioned Distinct and Duracore that are cheaper than LV6 right now. Chaparral is a fantastic product for brush species. That's a combination of Ally and Milestone. So anyway, those would be your options. Uh, Geronimo uh, called in and said, and Geronimo's from Indiana, by the way, he said, if you can choose five seed treatments to put on your corn, what would they be? So... Okay, first of all, uh, insecticides. So right now the neonics are, yep. are the choice. So poncho, gaucho, cruiser, I don't care which one. Just use one of them. And yep. depending on what kind of corn you have and what where you're going with it, 250 level is fine for most things. If you have heavy pressure, if you've got cover crop, if you're continuous corn, go to the 500 level. Now, the problem is if you say, I can only have five, well, my next four are probably fungicides. So, I, I mean, we really like Intego for pythium, but I mean, there are many different fungicides out there. We've got lots of diseases to control. And quite frankly, we have four to sometimes even five fungicides on our corn seed. Now, beyond that, there are a couple of biologicals we really like, heat shield and NutriCycle. Heat shield help, and granted, heat shield has a whole bunch of components to it. It's got uh, six different beneficial fungi there fungal endophytes that literally live inside the plant and give the plant more tolerance to heat to cold to drought things like that and it's been proven now that in the heat of the day your plant will be a little cooler when heat shield has been applied because those fungal endophytes help keep the plant cooler which helps provide more yield way with NutriCycle it helps solubilize more nutrients in the soil so those are the things we like insecticide multiple fungicides heat shield and NutriCycle those are the things we put on our corn each year stay tuned we'll be right back there's no time to mess around when it comes to early season protection from yield robbing pests and diseases ethos xb insecticide fungicide is the next generation of at plant protection through your liquid fertilizer system get broad spectrum defense and create an environment where seedlings can vigorously emerge with more uniformity helping to optimize your productivity and yield get serious seedling defense with ethos xb insecticide fungicide ethos xb insecticide fungicide is a restricted use pesticide always read and follow all label directions 
It takes balance to be successful in farming because what you get out of it depends on what you put in. And Corteva AgriScience gets that. Introducing Nutrition and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer, a biological product that naturally captures nitrogen from the air. It's a sustainable way to add balance to your traditional nitrogen methods and maximize your yield potential. Embrace a balanced approach to nitrogen management this season by visiting Corteva.us. Good morning and hallelujah! Watch it. My spray and pray days are over! What's with Randy? Oh, he's just amped. Amped? Yeah, he ordered that new Battalion Amp herbicide from UPL. They're calling it the new gold standard. This is the greatest day in herbicidal history! So, how can I... Get amped? Just go to battalionamp.com. It's gonna be a good year! Always read and follow label directions. When it comes to serial disease protection, Prosaro Pro 400 SC fungicide from Bayer makes all the difference. With three effective active ingredients for overlapping control of foliar and head diseases and a flexible application window for head scab, it's formulated to lower dawn, protect yield potential, and promote superior grain quality. Prosaro Pro. The future of plant health starts here. Visit prosaropro.com to learn more. Always read and follow grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio today in South Dakota. Not a lot of Bermuda grass production up here, but we're talking about Bermuda grass as our topic today. So let's head down south. We'll start down in Mississippi, talk to our friend Rocky Lemus down there, who works with Mississippi State, about uh, one of these crops that he specializes in, Bermuda grass. Rocky, thanks for joining us. Uh, thank you for having me. All right, so we aren't growing Bermuda grass up here in South Dakota, but uh, it's a real common thing where you're at. Talk to us a little bit about this particular crop. Yeah, you know, when we look at Bermuda grass, it's, it's one of the staple crops, forage crop that we have in the south. There are probably more than 11 acres of Bermuda grass growing across the southern United States for both uh, hay production and also for uh, grazing. Uh, and depending what you want to use it, we have different types. We have what we call the seeded types, which are going to be more uh, shorter uh, varieties, um, less forage production. They're going to be used mainly for grazing. But if you're in the hay business, you're going to be looking at what we call the hybrid varieties. And the hybrid varieties are usually um, established by using rhizomes uh, or sprigs instead of using a seeded type. Uh, they don't produce seeds. They are uh, more vegetative type, and they're highly productive. Uh, they can be um, uh, producing yields ranging from uh, five tons to uh, eight tons per acre, depending on on fertilization and also the uh, varieties that you choose. Now you mentioned fertilization, and this is one of those things that whenever we talk about a, a hay crop or a grazing crop that fertility just becomes so important to get the most out of it. Because I know this about Mississippi, you're going to get hot. <laughs> and there's going to be some heat going on down there and certainly some water usage. We can be a lot more efficient with that water usage if we get that fertility piece just right. Is this a spring fertilizing kind of crop, Rocky, or, or how do guys fertilize for Bermuda grass? 
Well, it, it depends on your intent. If, if you're in a pasture situation, what we usually recommend is that you do a, a, a lower nitrogen fertilization, about maybe 30 to 40 units of nitrogen early in the spring at green up, and then we'll come back in, in, in late um, June or early July with another 30 units, and that should be enough for grazing system. Um, if you're in a hay situation, it's a, li it's a, di a little different approach because you cut in, uh, the ideal cutting time will be 28 to 35 days for dapomeograph. So you're going to be applying nitrogen every, um, every cut. And depending on how um, also the amount of nitrogen you're going to use for, the, for every year. One thing that is very important to dictate yields throughout the season is that spring nitrogen application at green up along with the potash applications to make sure that uh, the plant is going to develop a strong root system that's going to be productive throughout the summer. Uh, a lot of people tend to put all the potash at the beginning of the uh, of the season with the Bermuda grass and, and then split the nitrogen application. That could be a problem. Uh, you know, uh, Bermuda grass is one of those that is uh, is a luxury consumption uh, have a luxury consumption of potassium because of the uh, high biomass production. So, one thing that I usually recommend is try to split your potassium applications along with your nitrogen application to have a better utilization and more efficiency. And those applications should be based on, on your salt test recommendation. That is interesting to, to know and to think about. And uh, the other thing on fertility that really ties into this is weed control. And we've talked to a number of farmers that say, you know what, if I, if I have a well-fertilized field, I can choke out a lot of weeds with it. Uh, do, you, do you find that to be true, that you really can choke those weeds out, or is this something that's always a concern? Well, there's always had to be a, there had to be a weed management approach with that, depending on which species you're targeting. Uh, if it's something that you're closing that canopy early in the season and making that Bermuda grass more competitive, yes, it's going to help you uh, with weed competition. But also you need to make sure that you you have a, a, a herbicide management planning in, in place as well because depending what species you're going to have. It's, for example, a horse nettle is one of those that could be very invasive on the south in, in some of the Bermuda grass fields. So, you know, it's not just a competition, but in that case, you're going to have to look at a herbicide approach for controlling those. What are your favorite herbicides? Is that your is that your uh, field of specialty, Rocky? Do you make herbicide recommendations on Bermuda grass? Oh, yes, we do. And, you know, depending on the species, uh, if you're dealing with um, um, broadleaf control, usually Grayson Nex is, is a good option, especially for the horse nettle. Uh, if you're looking at uh, what we call uh, dog fennel, some people call it cedar wheat, and then we're looking at other herbicides like pasture guard. It's depending on what, what the main target species is. Uh, what I usually tell producers is uh, make sure they just carry your field settled in the season. And for us, early in the season would be mid, mid to late May. Uh, and try to identify the species that you have and come up uh, with a broad, broad spectrum herbicide that is going to give you the best return for the application. How about for grasses, Rocky, for, for uh, invasive grass weeds in a Bermuda grass crop? Uh, you know, one of the, one of the uh, probably major grasses that we had competed, competed with the Bermuda grass will be Johnson grass. Uh, and usually we go to a pro called Maverick or Our Rider in that case to control the Johnson grass. Uh, you can also look at free emergence applications uh, such as... Um, 
Pastora in those cases. Uh, one of the things with, with Pastora is that you need to be very careful. You need to make sure that your Bermuda grass is really dormant. And you have to scout those fields because sometimes you go in February, March, and, and you start looking at those rhizomes in early uh, March, and they're still already green up. So if you uh, do an application that time of the year with a pastor application, you might be actually uh, causing some damage to those rhizomes that are trying to, to green up. So timing of those pre-merge applications might be very important. Uh, you know, we use also the pre-merge for controlling crabgrass as well. Um, um, Prowl H2O is one that we use quite a bit. Uh, that it works very well for us. Yeah, lots of choices, and that's one of the things that that we talk to folks who say, "Man, I just don't have very many." Yeah, but you got some really good ones there. You only you only named a few of them off, and I was thinking, well, that's a good herbicide, and that's a good herbicide. So, the key there just to be out in front of things so weed control problems don't get out of hand. Uh, we're talking Bermuda grass on today's program. We've got Rocky Lemus on right now with Mississippi State. And, Rocky, you're always a wealth of knowledge. We thank you so much. Is there anything we didn't ask you that we should have asked you about Bermuda grass? Uh, you know, one thing that I think is very important about Bermuda grass production is that uh, maintaining a good nutrition and, and good quality hay. Uh, I see a lot of uh, producers in the South that focus so much on biomass production, but they forget about uh, a good quality Bermuda grass where the animals are going to be able to get uh, the nutrition that they need. Uh, and, you know, in, when you come to Bermuda grasses, if you are not in that 28 to 35 days, you see a, a huge decline in crude protein, especially in, in energy. So at the end, when you start feeding that hay in the wintertime, you spend more money than in commodity feed to, to do a supplementation, actually, that sacrificing a little bit of the yields and making sure that, that you have a good uh, level of protein and energy to, to provide those animals, depending on the growth stage. Yep, great points there. Certainly a lot to know to be an expert in in just about any crop out there. Uh, when it comes to Bermuda grass, one of the experts that we like to talk to, Rocky Lemus down at Mississippi State. Rocky, thank you so much. Really appreciate you joining us. Oh, thank you for having me. We're talking Bermuda grass on today's show, and you may say, well, wait a second. Uh, I've got a different type of grass or pasture or hay crop that I'm trying to raise. A lot of these same products can be used there, a lot of the same concepts, uh, like we were just talking about fertility and paying attention to that and delivering the nutrients when your crop needs it to be efficient. Those things are all really important. Of course, soil sampling goes along with that to see where you're at with these nutrient levels, too. Yeah, and a lot of the herbicides, in terms of the broadleaf killers, you can use those in just about any grass species. Granted, I mean, some are unique, but where it really gets tricky is what can you use to take a grass out of a grass? And so Rocky mentioned with Johnson grass, you got Outrider, you've got Pastora. I mean, there are some options, but the biggest thing we're always going to tell you in terms of grass control in your grass is try not to overgraze try to fertilize well if you do everything to make that crop as healthy as possible as big as possible giving good crop canopy and stuff a lot of times just with cultural practice that way alone you can choke out that grass not a big worry anyway we'll talk more bermuda grass right after this Cold weather draining your batteries? Nothing delivers peace of mind like a quality battery charger from CNB. Going on now? Buy three batteries and get the charger on sale. Learn more or shop online at DeerEquipment.com. CNB, your local John Deere dealer of choice. Offer runs until May 2023. 
Get your planter ready for spring with Germinator Closing Wheels from Farm Shop MFG. When you buy 12 rows or more, get free shipping or 20% off an end zone bin system. So call Farm Shop MFG today at 712-520-6051. In 1923, Bert R. Benjamin had a vision, an all-purpose tractor that could do more. With that, the Farmall was born. This year, Case IH is celebrating 100 years of Farmall. 100 years of milestones, 100 years of innovation, passion, grit. And they're doing it through your stories. Share them at farmall100.com. One lucky storyteller will win their own Farmall. The tractor that is the one for all. Palmer Amaranth. Four counts of yield theft, resistance to groups two, four, nine. You ain't got nothing on me, man. We've been surveilling you. And now we've got Tough 5EC, a tank mix partner that'll make sure you and your gang of resistant weeds never see the daylight again. Crack down on repeat offenders. Add Tough 5EC to your post-emergence tank mix. Learn more at toughonweeds.com. Always read and follow label directions. Tough is a registered trademark of Belsham Crop Protection. What can we do for you? Yeah, I'm looking for some nitrogen. All right, we're running low and it's awful pricey, but uh, let me check. Hold. The answer to low supply and high prices for nitrogen is Invita, a microbe with systemic nitrogen fixation. Invita works throughout the foliage and roots, providing a right place, right time source of nitrogen to maximize yield in corn, wheat, and soybeans. Yeah, we're all out, but... You know what? I'll take some of that Invita. <laughs> That's what I was going to recommend. Book your Invita while supplies last. Get more durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com. With superior materials, craftsmanship, and best-in-class warranty, a Morton machine storage or workshop is built to stand the test of time. To learn how we can help you expand your farm operation, visit MortonBuildings.com. Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at HeadsUpST.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton Studio. And it appears we have finally got our topic correct. We've got our friend Jerry with us right now down in Texas. And Jerry, we're finally talking about Bermuda grass here. How about that? That's wonderful, uh, Darren. That's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, Yeah, i tell you what. Yeah, last year I think I'd had appendicitis when y'all caught holding but anyway, I don't want to waste y'all's time, and uh, you just tell me. I've got some comments, but you can uh, just lead me or however you want to do it, Darren and Brian. All right. So talk to us just a little bit about fertilizer. We had Rocky Lemus on at Mississippi State, and he said in their area, they've got to split apply nitrogen. They've got to split apply even potassium where they're at, but the fertility was a big, big deal. How about where you're at in Texas? Uh we split, yes, we split nitrogen uh, when we can. What we're trying to do, 
now is to put our in, uh, we've tried to put our phosphorus and potash and sulfur on in December, January, if we can. And it seems like it works better. And then we're still able, we, I think we're fixing to not be able to get 34 double O, our ammonia nitrate. And then we would run it out in, in April or May. And then we would try to come right back in. We may go ahead and cut two cuttings and then come back and put us some more ammonia nitrate on and we'd get you know 70 to 100 pounds more and seems like that works great now you mentioned uh the cuttings rocky was saying they're shooting for between five to eight tons per acre on the year where he's at how about in texas you guys can get dry over there what what do you see for for tonnage and you know if we can get three tons we're gonna be doing good um, that's what I was here. wondering. It sounded it sounded like a pretty high goal that he had, but I guess it depends on where you're at. Yeah. Now, one thing, uh, Darren and Brian, we what happened, and I, I don't want to mess this up, but y'all talked to us for years about testing your own land. And finally, in May of 19, we did exactly that. We set aside 13 acres, and we tested it. Uh, we did what Neil Kinsey said to do, and uh, we got about a 20 or 25 percent uh, increase right off the bat. Wow. On our, before we get about 100 squares per acre uh, a year, because uh, see, it runs about 50 pounds, so we're at about two and a half tons at that point, and uh, we're we're we just that's what we did, and it, it turned it helped us a lot. Just to do what y'all said to do, test on your own land. We were following one of our universities, and I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. And the land they must have been working off of, we run in low, low pH. And uh, it, my, my understanding was that uh, calcium, the lime, was not going to pay off for us. Well, we did that 13 acres, and we couldn't get uh, – we used pelletized lime, which was more expensive. But uh, I'm telling you, it, it, it made a tremendous amount of difference. And since then, we put it out on the whole 130 acres twice. And uh, so from the fertility, there's no question about that. And, and following what our soil samples, what Neil Kinsey tells us to do, and, and, and y'all's encouragement, uh, it's just been a tremendous difference. We just sold that big hay business last year. And uh, we're starting a second one with about a half size. And uh, but one of the things I and I was listening to the uh, professor uh, as far as when we get into our what killed us. We're in a wet. We're next to a river, and it would get wet. And the southern crabgrass just killed us. Absolutely, just killed us. And then we got uh, between BSF and Bayer. They were wonderful, and we we before Reslon came out, we would run uh, fasted ale, which was used in the rice industry, as y'all know, and it it helped on on a barnyard grass. It helped on a giant signal grass. It helped some on the uh, the southern crab grass, but we could not be successful with it. I was involved or knew about the Reslon when Bear was development about four years ago, and and we saw the first uh, test of it at, down at A&M, but that one of the A&M programs. And uh, anyway, the bottom line is, and I don't want to waste y'all's time, we put our first Reslon out uh, in November of 20. We didn't put any more herbicide out for a year. That's now, awesome. It's going to be hard to believe. 
that's going to be hard to believe. But and then uh, see, we get wet in there. So in twenty two, no twenty uh, twenty. That was 20. 21, we didn't get it out. We flew it on in 22 because that's we use a plane when we can't get in there with it. And it did great. And then the new owners got it out uh, about three weeks ago. Uh, and and we've already put out some home at home on our new places that we're trying to do with it. But anyway, I, I don't know about other people's property or anything, but uh, there's a YouTube out there. They had a film crew out uh about a year and a half ago and like i told him i said reslon may not be a silver bullet but in my lifetime it's as close as i've ever seen i'm not trying to sell reslon i just we were fixing to be out of business because and it it, it just cleans everything up it's, uh, it's it's a funny thing yeah, what a difference it makes to to get the right thing. Like you mentioned, you're doing good on uh, some of the other grasses, barnyard grass, signal grass, and things. But but finding that right mix. Well, I'm so happy to hear. I'd say the most happy I am, Jerry, is just to talk to you. It's been a little while since I got to talk to you, but uh, really happy to hear the fertility things working out. Good luck on your new venture. Really appreciate it. Well, we appreciate y'all so much, and thank you so much. You bet. Thanks, Jerry. Uh, let's head over for another one of those experts over to North Carolina. I got Dr. Fred Yelverton with us right now to talk a little Bermuda grass. How you doing, Fred? Good. How are you doing? You know, we're doing pretty well. We're doing pretty well. Okay. So the biggest turf discussion, I'm amazed it hasn't come up yet today, is the Super Bowl turf. What happened in the Super Bowl? <laughs> I, I thought they were a little crazy putting stuff down that close to when they were going to play a football game on it. Well, it, it's been a hot topic of discussion today. My my phone sort of blew up during the game, and obviously today for those of us in the turf grass industry, it's uh, it's been a hot topic of conversation. So, um, you know, we can talk about it a bit. The footing was not very good, um, you know, and, and let me be perfectly clear. Uh, I, I'm not, uh, I'm, I, I was not involved in, in that, uh, you know, turf management there in Arizona, although I am very familiar with, you know, how it's produced in Arizona. I'm also very familiar with that stadium and do work in sports turf. So yep. and you're, and general you're, comments. And you're not an Eagles fan, right, Fred? This isn't sour grapes about being an Eagles fan. <laughs> well, no, 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 no. This is not, a, this, this, this is not a, I'm not an Eagles or a Chiefs fan. I'm a, I'm a Carolina Panthers fan. You know, okay. We got them right here next door. So we had uh, – no, uh, nothing but to just enjoy the game. You bet. Well, that's that's a good place to be. But yeah, you're right. You're when you're a turf grass guy, you're going to get those calls. No doubt about that. What's going and, on? What were they thinking? So, so what was absolutely. the problem? What was the problem there, Fred? Well, so so let me just clear clear up a few things first. You know, let me tell you what it what what the turf was to begin with. First of all, the uh, this is Phoenix, Arizona, right? So or suburb of Phoenix. So uh, the underlying turf grass species there is Bermuda grass. Now, Bermuda grass is is the very best turf grass species for sports turf because it has such great wear tolerance, right? And and it also provides generally very good uh, footing, and and you usually don't see the problems you had with it last night. There's a reason for that. Bermuda grass. Um, has uh you know a very extensive rhizome and stolen system so that and it has a, a very rapid growth rate right but it, you know this rhizome stolens being above ground stems and uh, rhizomes being below ground right so basically what happens is when a player 
plants their foot, you know, it, it because of those stolons and, and rhizomes, you, you get good footing. Uh, so you see very little slippage and things like that uh, with Bermuda. So it's actually it's an ideal uh, turf grass species. And, and of course, these are, in, are, are these are improved hybrids and things like that. The one they used last night, the Bermuda grass was Tahoma 31, uh, which is out of Oklahoma State. Uh, and a lot's been said about that variety, but let me be clear: there's nothing wrong with that variety. It's quite a good variety. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's an interesting it's an interesting discussion, and and I know there there are different uh, hybrids and varieties out there too. Uh, we'll talk just a little bit more about Bermuda grass, Fred. We're up against a commercial break. We'll be right back after this. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Control the toughest weeds with overlapping residuals. Lock in the longest-lasting control for your soybean fields. A pre-emergence application of an Authority brand herbicide plus a post-application of Anthem Max herbicide establishes the overlapping residual control key to safeguarding your soybean seasons. This pairing is a heavy-duty economical strategy against Palmer Amaranth, Waterhemp, Kosha, and more. Visit your FMC retailer or lockin.ag.fmc.com today. Always read and follow all label directions. Your crop deserves the best, not just a contender. Choose a Champ brand fungicide from New Farm for proven performance in the formula you prefer. Champ Formula 2 Flowable offers exceptional mixing and stability in a liquid copper. Champ Ion comes supercharged for superior coverage in a dry formulation. Any way you turn, New Farm has the copper solution you can win with. Put a Champ in your corner at newfarm.com slash uscrop. Precision crop nutrition pays. And AgroLiquid has precisely what it takes to help you succeed. The right products plus the right expertise to give you guidance based on your soils, your fields, and your goals. While our clean, seed-safe formulations and lower application rates make planter fertilizer easier than ever. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Ag PhD has one mission, to give you the knowledge you need to make your farm more successful. That's why every issue of the Ag PhD Insider Magazine features crop fertility and pest management tips, insights into the world's highest yielding farmers, updates and results from our infield research trials, as well as the latest agronomy information from Brian and Darren Hefty. We put it all in one place so you can make your farm more productive and profitable. Subscribe to the Ag PhD Insider at agphdinsider.com. This is Mike. Hey. He's getting a quick haircut at the local barber school. It's only five bucks. How bad can it? Yikes. Don't be like Mike when it comes to weed control. Get the job done right the first time and plan ahead with Status Herbicide. It delivers elite corn safety and reliable performance, so you don't have to deal with more problems than you bargained for. No, 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 no. Status Herbicide from BASF. Always read and follow label directions. Win the war against weeds in your soybean fields with fierce herbicides from Valent USA. With three different formulations and multiple modes of action, you're sure to find the right fierce product to protect your operation from tough weeds like Palmer Amaranth and Waterhemp. Give your soybeans a strong, clean start with up to eight weeks of residual control with the powerful pre-emergence protection of fierce herbicide. Ask your local retailer or visit valent.com fierce to find the right fierce formulation for you. Always read and follow label instructions.
Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, talking Bermuda grass on the show today. And we've got one of the experts in the country, Fred Yelverton, down at North Carolina State. Uh, Fred, we were talking a little bit about that Super Bowl turf grass. And I don't know if that gave Bermuda grass the best name out there, but the people that are in the know, of course, realize that is awfully good turf. Uh, there's just some other things going on there. Uh, did you want to talk a little bit more about that, or do you want to talk about other things? Yeah, yeah. Let's just, let's just mention one other thing. You know, Phoenix uh, area. You know, Bermuda grass goes dormant in the winter, so it turns brown. So basically, that turf last night was uh, Tahoma Bermuda grass overseeded with perennial ryegrass, and the perennial ryegrass giving it the color. So you know, that's what made it look all green and and pretty. Uh, but the perennial ryegrass really doesn't do, do much other than just uh, you know, for the uh, aesthetics there to make it green. And, uh, you know, perennial ryegrass also can be a little bit slippery, too. So it's not the quality of Bermuda grass. So I think that was part of what was involved in it. There were probably some other things involved, but, you know, that, that led to not-so-great footing uh, for the athletes. But, uh, you know, those things happen sometimes, and, you know, it's just just uh, you know, this is a pretty highly technical field we're talking about with sports turf. You have uh, a lot of expensive. You have a lot of athletes that get paid a lot of money, so it's really important to have a uniform playing surface and things like that because of the injuries. So, and and we're by the way we're we're big advocates of natural turf. So we don't want natural turf to get a get a bad name. So players. Uh, you know, overwhelmingly prefer to play on natural turf as opposed to synthetic turf. So uh, shouldn't be getting a bad name. These things happen occasionally. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. Uh, talk to us then uh, just about turf grass in general and Bermuda grass certainly being a, a large crop. Uh, what do we need to know about Bermuda to take the best care of it? Well, Bermuda grass actually is, you know, it's one of the most uh, adaptable turf species we have. We, You know, we grow it in golf courses, uh, home lawns, athletic sports fields, uh, roadsides. I mean, it's, it's a really native of, of sub-Saharan Africa. That's where uh, people have been improving Bermuda grass for years. Great turf grass species. And, and as you were listening to this discussion on forages, you know, it also has a very important role in forage Bermuda grasses. Uh, it, it has some quirks about it, though, from a production standpoint that are very important. For instance, uh, and we face this a lot, it does not like shade. So we have to make sure that when we grow Bermuda grass, regardless of where we're growing it and uh, in, in what environment we're growing it, we make, need to make sure it has plenty of sunlight. And, you know, getting back to the, to the sports field, you know, some of these big stadiums, uh, you know, they the quality of the sunlight really gets pretty poor because of how big the stadiums are. Now, the one in Phoenix yesterday, of course, that that's really unique. And if you've never seen anything like this, it's amazing. You know, they grow the turf out and essentially in the parking lot <laughs> and it's, and it's on rails and they bring it in uh, for game day. So there are two stadiums uh, like that. The one in Glendale last night and then Allegiant stadium in Las Vegas where they grow the turf outside. It's actually grown on rails and, you know, and then they uh, put it on, it's, it's grown permanently on rails and then it's just moved into the stadium. It's quite a, a technological achievement if you've never seen it. It's really quite fascinating. 
Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, I was just saying I've been in that stadium before. I wasn't there for the Super Bowl, but I've been in that stadium before, and you're right. I, I can certainly see, yeah, there's times of day that the sunlight's not too bad, but not for the whole field, so it's it's a challenge. Well, you know, when you look at these professional stadiums all over the world, uh, that's one of the real challenges for Bermuda, for turf growth in general. All turf species love sunlight so except with the exception of fine fescue it'll, it'll grow quite well in shade but all turf species prefer sunlight bermuda grass though it has zero tolerance for shade so a lot of these stadiums are so large uh that you know it's hard to get adequate sun sunlight into them uh to grow the turf uh, you know adequately because you know it is it is a challenge to get that rhizome and stolen growth where it needs to be so the you know the footing and the quality of the playing surface is what you need for uh for you know athletes to get paid a lot of money so you know you don't want to be having a million dollar athlete multi-million dollar athlete you know twisting his ankle or or having a major injury because of field conditions yep absolutely even even uh, the kickers were having a struggle when they just really needed to get one plant foot one time well, that that was that, that. You know what? That yeah, I'm glad you brought that because that was a that was a, a really a telltale sign. I think when the when the kicker, uh, I think he was kicking off from, I can't remember, was it beginning of the second half yeah. when he planted yep, his foot exactly. and it slid. That that's a sign right there that the footing is not. Uh, there were lots of signs, but that's one we look for uh, with the kicker because you know the kicker doesn't weigh 300. Yes, exactly. That's exactly what I was thinking. He's not that big a guy. No, no. If it's if it's slipping on him, uh, you can imagine what a guy uh, athlete who weighs you know 150 pounds more than him, uh, or, or the guy do. going so, twice as fast as him. I mean, that, that's the other thing. I mean, exactly. they're not exactly sprinting there for that, like uh, the guy, the wide receiver is, for example. Well, that's right. And and you know, if you think about if you think about uh, in the case of a running back, for instance, you know what what makes a running back very good is he can get to full speed in about two steps right so it's not it's not so much that they're blazing fast in the 100 yards or whatever but one of the real uh, important uh, attributes of a running back is that they can get up to full speed in about two or three steps right so you can imagine if you take one that weighs about 225 pounds you can imagine the force uh underneath their feet right that that will allow them to get up to to those types of, uh, you know, speed. So, you know, it's, it's really, it's really very, you know, it's a very technical field in, in producing high quality sports turf. So it's not, it's a lot more complicated than, you know, the average person, uh, would certainly uh, realize. So it's a tough job. And, you know, those, those field managers, they have a, they have a tough job and it's, it's, you know, it's very high pressure job, right? It doesn't matter if you're talking about Major League Baseball. You know, you can't have a bad hop. <laughs> yes. Uh, you yes. know, that's, I mean, that's a, that's a big deal. So, and we have our sports fields now so close to perfect, you know, at least in the Major League Arena and, and in the Major College Arena. These sports turf managers, uh, we have an entire uh, curriculum for them here at, at most of the land-grant universities, and uh, it's a pretty highly technical field. So, Lots of training that goes into it, so it's it's a heck of a lot more than just throwing out some fertilizer and mowing. I can assure you of that. So, um, <laughs> yep, That's... things didn't go exactly right last night, but um, you know it's uh, it 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 happens. 
Yeah, lots of things to, to talk about about that game, and certainly the turf has gotten a lot of attention with it. So as we're talking Bermuda grass <laughs> well, today, we've got Dr. Fred Yelverton on here to explain some of those technical things to us. Well, you know, one thing I'll mention, too, you know, and we see it a lot of times in golf tournaments, if the greens are not rolling just right or something, we always have a saying, at the end of Sunday, there's always one golfer that thought it was pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I said you're not an Eagles fan, are you, Fred? Because otherwise, <laughs> I tell you what, though. I mean, both teams, I thought it was pretty even with uh, as far as the conditions and everything else. It certainly wasn't anything to do with the conditions that changed the game, but uh, it, well, it definitely they, was interesting. That's right. The good news. The good news is they both had to play on the same field. Yes, yes, that, exactly. that's exactly right. Well, so I'm saw, sure, I'm sure, I'm, I'm sure the Chiefs are not too worried about the quality of that field right today. No, no. But then again, they're playing on natural turf, and I'm sure every player was thankful for that. Just the forgiveness the yes. natural turf has for their bodies, and, uh, and and there were some big dudes out there yesterday, no doubt. Oh, about they that. really are. Well, Fred, thank you so they much. Really we really are. appreciate having you on. We'll have to have you on again sometime. Absolutely. Anytime. Just give me just let me know. You bet. Now we're talking Bermuda Grass on the show today. Of course our phone lines are open if you have any questions, eight four four forty four ag PhD. And you can always email us radio at agphd.com. Yeah, this Bermuda grass discussion, I mean, it's a little bit different than the grasses that we have here in the northern United States. Like in our pastures, we're dealing primarily with brome, but still perennial grass absolutely has problems with broadleaf weeds, fertility, drainage, things like that. So it's a lot of the same discussion, but just a few different products and a little bit different management when you got that long growing season in the south as well. We're going to get to your questions in the Ag PhD mailbag next. This is Stormy Fields with your weather forecast. Today calls for a high of 68 degrees with sunny skies and not a cloud in sight. Planting windows can close fast, so when you need both speed and accuracy, choose John Deere. Our exact emerge planters and precision ag technologies give you precise seed placement for uniform emergence and the efficiency you need to gain ground. See what you have to gain at johndeere.com slash gain ground. This season, get medieval on Rhizoctonia with the powerful protection of Excalia fungicide from Valent USA. Here to shield your sugar beets from the treachery of Rhizoctonia, Excalia delivers excellent staying power, keeping your sugar beets from being conquered. Stay one step ahead of Rhizoctonia with the powerful protection of Excalia. Ask your retailer or visit valent.com slash Excalia to learn more. Always read and follow legal instructions. The value of your farm building is in its ability to protect what's stored inside. That's why Morton Buildings ensures that every machine storage and insulated workshop we build will provide superior strength and durability. As a 100% employee-owned company, we're all committed to being the industry leader with a focus on innovation, service, quality, and most importantly, customer satisfaction. To get started on your next project, please visit mortonbuildings.com. Don't turn your fertilizer application plan into a guessing game. Understand exactly how much fertility you need to reach your yield goals with the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App. Simply enter your crop and your yield goal and the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App calculates the amount of nutrition needed to keep your crop healthy and working for you. Quit playing guessing games with your fertility needs. Download the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App today. 
available on the Apple App Store and in Google Play. Hi, Greg Souter. Uniform emergence is critical for high ear count and yields. Good emergence starts with the closing of the seed trench. It's almost impossible to pinch the seed trench closed from the top, no matter what style of closing wheel you use. That's why 360 Wave closes the seed trench from the bottom up. 360 Wave rolls moist soil from the bottom of the V trench over the seed, completely engulfing the seed, eliminating all traces of the trench. That means better germination and emergence. Learn more at 360yieldcenter.com. At Corteva AgriScience, we want to keep farms healthy and productive, today and tomorrow. That's why we're investing in a robust pipeline of naturally derived biologicals. Meet Nutrition and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer. It's a sustainable nitrogen fixation product that facilitates crop growth and optimizes yield potential. With the fluctuation in fertilizer prices, Utricia N is a reliable solution. It can be used alongside your traditional nitrogen program to enhance your ROI this year. For more information, visit Corteva.us. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Man, you never thought you'd tune into today's show and hear about the turf at the Super Bowl. I thought that was great discussion there with Dr. Fred Yelverton down at North Carolina State. Just uh, all the things that go into that. You can't take that part for granted. Uh, okay, uh, get this from John, and he said, I got some soil samples for you guys. I'm curious what your recommendations would be. Uh, I've got this is a 22 acre field that we're trying to raise 220 bushel corn on. And the recommendation that we got was to put 41 tons of high calcium lime out there. Now to us, uh, that seems like a lot for the 22 acres we'd be applying. Oh, total. Okay. I'm like, what? Total. Yep. Total. Yeah. Okay. So two tons tons to the acre. Yeah. Roughly two tons, but it's in different spots. And I looked at the, the, pH levels and there were only about four points on there that were below six. And to yeah. me, I, I don't know. I mean, maybe you're fighting this all the time, John, where no, it's, it, it just is dropping all the time. We're trying to catch it before it drops too far. But to me, it looked like if the pH wasn't in the fives, I don't know, just at first glance, I don't know if I'd be putting on the line, but I guess I didn't look at the calcium percentage and everything else just yet. Um, yeah. I mean, the calcium percentage is around well in those spots as low as 37 percent yeah that needs which needs some calcium. doesn't that they're running the percentage though different darren than midwest labs would do so it's true it's not truly that okay you, you got want a to five hear- and a 5.4 ph and it's light soil there's no possible chance you're going to need tons of lime but I let me take that back. I don't know what kind of lime we're talking about and, either. And what How the moisture percentage is right. in it and that kind so of hard, thing. It's, it's hard to say. But anyway, go yeah, ahead. Yeah, we need it. We need a sample of the lime to actually know. Um, how much to put on but uh, he said his normal program they've been running about 340 pounds of a 7 19 28 blend with three uh zinc or three sulfur and also some zinc uh and then they're putting on 45 to 50 gallons of nitrogen a 26005 side dress normally they're not doing any tillage but in this case, they're going to need to do some tillage to fix some issues this spring. So they could broadcast fertility or broadcast lime out there if if it would be a better deal. They're in a three-year corn, soybean, wheat rotation. Okay. And what did you start with? What was the very first thing you said? Well, 220. 
this time? Uh, the 340 pounds of no, us? No, 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 no. Not the fertilizer. Oh, okay. The so whole question. The whole the main question was they, they got recommended to apply 41 tons of high calcium lime onto this 22-acre field, and they thought that seemed a little... Excessive. Excessive. I, it's, it feels to me like that's excessive as well. In those four spots you're talking about where the pH is down in the fives, by all means, you got a lime. But as light as that soil is, I mean, in one spot, it's literally 4.6 CEC. That's pure sand. Uh, pure sand. Uh, you need almost no lime, which explains why the buffer pH in that spot even is 6.8. The closer it is to 7, the easier it is to fix the pH. So obviously it's ridiculously easy to fix that pH. No, I'm spending my, I mean, yeah, I'm, I got to spend some money on Lyme. Don't get me wrong. Okay. So you have to do that. On top of that though, I'm, I'm taking a look at my phosphorus and potassium first and your phosphorus levels. You got a lot that are 20 to 30 parts per million. It's just, that's not enough for where you're trying to go yield wise. So as long as you're going to do the tillage this time, then that's the great time to get phosphorus out because phosphorus doesn't move in even your light soil. So you till that in. Then the other big thing is potassium. I mean, there's a lot of 2 and 3% base saturation Ks on light soil, meaning we've got 100 parts per million or less on K. 100. I mean, that's, that's where most of your fertilizer dollars have to go. It's into the K. So beyond that, I mean, you mentioned sulfur. I mean, three pounds of sulfur is simply not going to cut it either. You've got single-digit parts per million on light soil. You've got to be putting on sulfur at least a couple times during the year, and you've got to get more, a few more pounds than that. You don't have to go get super carried away, but you need definitely more than that. And also, you've got to always keep in mind, boron's going to be leachable too, just like nitrate and sulfate. So those are really the biggest things I've got. Okay, uh, get a question here that came in from David, and there's a bunch of stuff here, Brian. There's a, an organic type of fertilizer. That's the analysis on the front there. It's a full-page sheet on that particular product. Uh, he said, guys, get, get a question here on, on this soil. We have raised 200 bushel corn, 75 bushel wheat, 45 bushel soybean. That's our rotation. And we found this organic fertilizer. It costs about $70 a ton delivered. And we're just kind of curious about that. Uh, I know that we may need some lime, uh, but also uh, some of the micronutrients too. Okay, well, first of all, you said 200 bushel corn, 45 bushel beans. Almost every single time I wonder if somebody that's says, a double crop. I wonder if that's a double crop. 75 bushel wheat followed by 45 bushel beans. I at? think that's double crop, Kentucky. Oh, okay. But still, when I hear low soybean yields like that to decent corn yields right away i'm thinking k and i mean i can barely read the i mean the soil tests are blurry so but i'm pretty sure we're talking in the ones for percent of base saturation k that's almost always the culprit when we have pretty good corn yields not very good soybean yields and the other thing is i'll guarantee you you're having lodging issues right now in your corn and your wheat because of that low k so potassium is where i'm spending most of my dollars and I, I, I mean, what do I think about this fertilizer? Well, it's a 5.2. 5. So, I, I mean, it's fine if you want to use a little bit of it. But, I, I mean, that that's certainly not going to be my main program. Because, let's face it, you need way more nitrogen than you do phosphorus. So, I'm never going to have a fertilizer where I have an equal amount of nitrogen and phosphorus together. And you need as, I mean, as a total, hundreds as a total of potash. Source. 
not 0.2% in my fertilizer. Right. So anyway, yeah, I mean, I like the fact that you've got a whole bunch of nutrients there. But again, I can't read your soil test very well. It's awfully blurry here. But I mean, this this fertilizer he's talking about has some sulfur. It's got boron, copper, iron, manganese, molybdenum, nickel, sodium, zinc. So all that stuff's fine. I don't have any big problem with it, especially because most of the rates are ridiculously low. Like um, nickel, you're at 0.003%. Sodium, you're at 0.04%. Boron, you're 0.0025%. You're not going to hurt anything with any of this stuff. So it's really, really uh, weak, I would say. So in terms of those nutrients, you're not going to hurt something. Uh, but I, yeah, I, I don't, I don't really know what to tell you as far as this, this fertilizer. If you want to use a little bit of it, fine, do some strip trials or, you know, try half, couple half fields or whatever. But I mean, you need some major nutrients here to, to get this soil in the condition you want it to be in to maximize yield and standability and grain quality and everything moving forward. So you, you got to invest some dollars in that fertility, especially K. All right. Thanks for the question. We appreciate oh, that. Oh, by the way, it looks, yeah, like I say, it's really hard to read this, but it appears that his phosphorus levels also are 10 to 20 parts per million. So if, if that's the case where I'm at 10 to 20 parts per million there and I'm at 1% base saturation K, I'm spending my dollars on P and K. And I mean, these crop prices are too good right now to miss out on top yields. And I mean, it's awesome that you've gotten the yields you have in the past, but this soil is kind of depleted. So you're not going to be able to get by on just little amounts of fertilizer moving forward. Or you're going to see your yields go down. You're going to see more lodging, more grain quality issue. I'm speaking from firsthand experience here because we've had soil tests like that too. And it usually doesn't end well unless you really fertilize and work on a build program over a period of time. All right, let's switch gears here a little bit. Let's talk about the grain already in the bin. This one comes from John down in central Nebraska. He said, you guys have talked about the end zone controls from Farm Shop MFG uh, to either take out moisture or potentially add moisture back in. I've got some corn that got too dry. Just curious, have you guys ever added a point or two of moisture back into the corn with these controllers? If so, do you have any concerns or, or things I should be aware of? Um, I don't know that we have with these controllers, but we have done that over the years. Absolutely. Let's put it this way. I ran our grain dryers for over 20 years. Do you think I did it perfectly the whole time? <laughs> No. In some cases, we ended up with grain that was a little too dry. And so we pumped some damper air back in there and got the moisture back up a little yeah, bit. There's I only mean, so much I you can do. You can, you can create but, some issues putting too much in. Well, of course. And I also don't love the over drying or letting grain get too dry out in the field because then we just we have more grain damage. We have more loss out in the field, things like that. So I don't love it if we end up with that condition. But yes, we can. You can pump more moisture into grain by running humid air through there. Absolutely. All right. Thanks for the questions, John. We really appreciate that. Yeah, we do think bin fan controls do offer you some benefits for your farm. No doubt about that. Thanks for listening to our program today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.